Photo Shelter presents Vision Slightly Blurred. I'm Alan Murabayashi. And I'm Sarah Jacobs. Spring is in the air, Sarah. And I think all the people that have been sheltering in place have started to get really antsy uh, as the weather has gotten warmer and the sun has come out. And in places like New York City, it reached the 70s this weekend and people were out in droves. (laughs) I saw via social media. Yeah, because we're not there, so. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at this one photo that got circulated, and I can't find the attribution, but it's uh, somewhere in New York at a park. And it looks like there are groups of people. It's clear by the number of groups that all of these people don't live in the same household. Uh, And that's been the guidance for groups, right? You have to live in the same household. These people aren't living in the same household. Uh, Nobody's wearing masks. Uh, I've heard from other people that that rooftop parties have been happening, uh, people oh, no. are antsy. People are yeah. antsy. And there's photos from all over uh, the country, uh, Orange County being one of them, places where beaches have opened up, uh, where you see a lot of breaking of the social distancing policies. And well, we'll see wh- where that leads in a couple of weeks. Um, but in the meantime, <laughs> on a different note, <laughs> the New York Times published a lovely, lovely photo essay uh, taken by Brian Derbala, who got access to um, a botanical garden in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, uh, to be specific. And they have to keep doing their thing. The gardeners there have to keep doing their thing because otherwise, as some of them said, it'll just get overgrown very, very quickly. So the gardeners are going there as an essential workforce, tending to the plants and the trees and whatnot. And Brian got in there and took these incredible photos that, how can I say best? They, they just don't look like photojournalistic photos. No. He's more of a commercial photographer, he so is. that does make sense. Yeah. yeah. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. I mean, the, the, the vibrance of the colors, he's not oversaturating them, in, in, in my opinion. Um, and there's just a way of seeing that, that feels very atypical from the normal photojournalistic image. And so I'm so happy that the Times reached out to him to shoot this particular story because I think you end up with a set of photos that's really sort of breathtaking. Absolutely. I'm so glad that a photographer got to go into the Brooklyn Botanic. Um, I go there annually. I live I live sort of near it. And um, at the beginning, they when the cherry blossoms were just beginning to uh, bloom, the Brooklyn Botanical Garden on their website had a link you could click to, quote, watch it bloom. And I remember I clicked it and it was this really sad, like, graphic design just showing you when the trees were going to bloom. It was not, I thought it would be like live footage or like a camera, <laughs> but it was not. It was like the saddest little graphic illustration ever. And so I'm so glad that Brian got to go in there and document those beautiful pink hues um, so that we get to enjoy it, at least in some form this year. Yeah, he's actually done uh, quite a bit of work for the New York Times, but it's always, you know, in his style. Um, and he does a lot of corporate work. He's done work for Timex, Airbnb, J. Crew, um, And so I think he brings a nice blend of commercial uh, to seeing these journalistic scenes, which is just just lovely. We'll have a link to this story and everything else that we mention on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com so you can look along. And also, he made the front page of the New York Times today on Sunday. Oh. So congratulations to Brian. Awesome. I saw him post. He was he was super proud that a, a photo of a flowering tree made the front page. 
<laughs> we need to see it in these times. Definitely. Definitely. More interesting people in the photo world stuck in Brooklyn doing fun things in quarantine. <laughs> there was a neat uh, article on The Loop, L-U-U-P-E, about three roommates. And one of them is photographer Liz Devine. And they just made these sort of goofy photos together with the three of them, <laughs> three roommates. It's it's really cute. She uh, She is a lifestyle and travel photographer. And so she decided, you know, I want to start doing creating work. I'm going stir crazy. I want to create work here in my apartment. Um, I don't normally shoot studio work, but let's see how this goes. And she enlisted her two roomies and they've just been like imitating 80s photos, Renaissance paintings, uh, Tiger King, like the whole gamut. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about these photos in the context of how would we view them if we weren't in lockdown. Mm. And I think some of them stand up to a lot of scrutiny. So the image at the top of the article where it's women in these flowery robes um, with the face cream on and the cucumber eye, you know, over their eyes. And it's, it's a goofy, well-lit, well-composed photo, which I think stands up really well. And then there's some mm. other ones where I feel like, okay, contextually, because it's, COVID, we understand, you know, they're making do, but I didn't think uniformly they were all at the same level. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a variance in terms of like production and just like what props they're able to have on hand to make it look, you know, quote unquote, authentic. Right. Well, that's, or not. that's definitely true. I mean, I think, I think they're very, very creative. They <laughs> have one of uh, the prices, right? Which is, I mean, they're funny. They make me smile. No, totally. They recreated Fleetwood Mac's uh, Rumors um, yep. Yep. album cover, but they renamed it Fleetwood Snack Cheetos, <laughs> which is just great. <laughs> and also Liz, Liz said in the Loop interview that she would really like Doritos to sponsor the work. Um, Doritos, they like totally get on that. Should. They totally they should. They really should. What else are brands <laughs> going to do at this time? Exactly. Yeah, well, maybe she got out today and is hanging out at the park with everyone else, <laughs> maintaining social distancing. So we had two fun photo projects, Brian's images from the park and Liz's images from her apartment. And then in Georgia, Elijah Nuvelage took a viral photo of a nail tech. And why don't you describe what's in that photo? Yeah, so this was a photograph taken in Atlanta, Georgia on April 24th, um, and it is a customer receiving a manicure on April 24th. Um, the, all you can see is the customer's arm. So you don't know if the customer is wearing a mask or if they're not. You just see their nails being buffed by a nail technician um, who is a person of color wearing a lot of plastic wrap around her body for safety, a, a face mask for safety, um, a hair, what looks like a shower cap um, over her hair for safety as well. And it went viral because uh, somebody tweeted, I present to you the most American photograph. Um, and it is a very striking image because as some states have been reopening these quote unquote non-essential businesses, um, obviously it's come into our minds. What, what is considered essential? Why does this, you look at this picture and you think, why does this person need to go to a nail salon right now? It's also very clear that it's a, 
you know, a white woman, her, the, the skin tone is very, very white, where you yes. see the arm coming from the right side of the frame. And then the nail tech is a brown, maybe a black woman, hard to tell with the, all of the plastic that she's wearing over her body. And so that, you know, there's, there's this persistent pulse of race in this image, how the black community has been disproportionately affected. Uh, mortality rates are much higher, how the minorities are the ones that are doing all the service jobs. And while people are, you know, protesting uh, to open America back up to business, uh, it's the lower income, lower wage people, minority people that are often the ones in the service positions um, mm-hmm. that are that are taking the risk, taking more risk than the average person because they're the ones encountering so many people during the course of the day. Yeah, I want to note that this photo ran um, in the Atlantic uh, under the headline, Georgia's Experiment in Human Sacrifice. And it was all about how Governor Brian Kemp uh, reversed his shutdown orders and businesses are now able to open up um, under their owner's discretion as of late last week. Um, and I mean, Georgia has reported 27,000 positive cases, um, not a low number. So you wonder I was talking uh, to my friend. He is a facial plastic surgeon and he had written on Facebook that he hadn't performed surgery in something, you know, like two months because of the lockdown. And he said, in my career in 26 years, this is the longest I've gone without performing surgery. He he also wow. said, because I sent him an article from the Times talking about how some clinics in Beverly Hills are talking about opening up to Botox. You know, Botox are clients and people are dying. Like for all of these be- beauty-related service, people are, quote, dying because they're not being tended to with their hair and their nails and their Botox, et cetera. He mm. said that, you know, elective surgery to do something like a facelift when you're only doing like one client a day, some of the discussion is that that's so much lower risk than when you're doing Botox and you're running four people through your office an hour. Oh, Just yeah. in terms of the number of people that you're coming in contact with and who may or may not be in asymptomatic. I mean, it's hard to wear a mm. mask when you're getting a Botox treatment, right? And mm. most people are saying that the mask is to prevent uh, spread of disease from that person not wearing the mask. So, you know, right. the, the patient So you're, comes you're in. saying, are you saying after all of these missed Botox appointments, we can just go safely in and get a full facelift after quarantine. (laughs) From a numbers (laughs) perspective, that's one of the arguments that's going on in the dermatology realm. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the point, bringing it back to this photo, you know, it's these, it's the high volume of traffic in like a nail salon where people aren't far from each other. Well, unless they've spread them out, but you can see in this photo that, you know, the two chairs in the in the background aren't really six feet apart. It looks like more like five feet or maybe even four feet. Oh, oh yeah. And there's another shot that he took from the outside. And you can see that most of the chairs are full. It's a, it, they're busy. Yeah. People were, I mean, I get it. Listen, I'm dying for a haircut, you know, and I've, I've tried cutting my hair <laughs> three times already and oh no, it, it works the first time because you can get away with it. And then after that, you know, it's hard to <laughs> It's hard to to balance and blend and all the stuff that, that professionals know how to do on yourself. That's good we're not doing video anymore, Alan. Oh, I know. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> oh, my God. I know last week, Alan, we talked a lot about uh, what photographers' lives are looking like um, while in quarantine. 
because uh, the New York Times had run an amazing piece on it. Well, Women Photograph, the collective, has started their own Instagram account, and it's WP the Journal. Um, that's the handle. And they are working with over 400 photographers worldwide and uh, female-identifying photographers who are sharing their stories about how they're coping with the current crisis. And so it's just, I mean, it's just more... Um, quiet, beautiful imagery from photojournalists and fine art photographers across the world in how they're living their lives right now. Um, and one thing that that the account is doing is it's combining uh, various photographers within one post. So you'll, you'll be able to see somebody that lives in New York City and also Saudi Arabia all within one single Instagram post. And it's it's a really thoughtful account um, that is definitely worth the follow. I'm super interested in the creative class trying to figure out new ways to present creative output. And um, as you know, I'm a bit of a, a closeted musician um, and I'm seeing a lot of virtual choirs or virtual bands, etc., where Individuals will record themselves in their homes and then somebody, some video editor will throw that together in a grid and then present that as a virtual performance. Mm -hmm. um, and after, you know, about a month and a half of seeing those, I'm actually getting a little tired of the format. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I've been curious to see in what other ways musicians will present music and not necessarily I mean, I don't think it's about maintaining our interests. It's, you know, because either you love music or you don't. Um, but I do think that the novelty of the virtual choir where initially everybody was like, oh my God, that's so cool. How'd you do that? Did you do it over Zoom? How did you deal with the latency? Blah, blah, blah. And once the <laughs> once everybody gets a sense of like, okay, this is possible. It's, it's not that difficult to do. And we've seen a thousand versions of that. What's next? And similarly, you know, seeing photographers doing the whole for example, self-portrait projects in their apartments. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's, that, that has to evolve. That, that can't be the only uh, way that we're seeing when we're locked down. And I, I think it will evolve and I think it'll evolve pretty quickly because, right, because like, and you and I have already discussed a lot about how the imagery around COVID has shifted and changed um, already very dramatically within the news. And I think this is a good example of following this account, you're going to be able to get an idea of exactly what you just said about how it's going to shift, how it's going to change. Um, we're going to, we're going to see it. We're going to see all of it because there's so many photographers out there and so many platforms to share your work. We're going to see the shift, whether it's the way you're living, the food that you're able to get and eat based on your income or lack of like, all of that is going to shift. I very much appreciate the multi-country view of this because it is, after all, a global pandemic. And the way that right. individual countries are dealing with it and individuals within those countries are dealing with it varies pretty enormously. Um, so it is sort of a big experiment in terms of the global population dealing with the pandemic. So it's great to see uh, you know, even representations in the same post from around the world. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite photographers is Sally Mann, 
We've talked a lot about her in past episodes before. Uh, And so this came on my radar uh, because of her. The MoMA currently has up Dorothea Lang words and pictures. Um, It went up February 9th and it's going to, I mean, it's technically up through May 9th. Um, But every, the MoMA has done a really good job of putting their exhibitions online. And so every Thursday they've been doing this virtual view. And last Thursday it was the curator of the Dorothea Lang show, which is Sarah Meister. She talked to Sally Mann um, via a live Zoom interview. Um, And they talked about so many amazing things, mostly about Dorothea's work uh, and how, and also how Sally works as an artist. They took questions from the audience. Um, It was just a really informative, great interview that's free and up on YouTube. And if you like Sally's work, you should, or Dorothea's, you should absolutely check it out. Um, I love Sally's home. (laughs) she's got a great little alcove Uh, i know her office looks amazing right and like the sun is setting behind her and did did she say where she was located she's in virginia and she i believe and she's been there for years and years she has created most of her photographic work in and around her home and and about her family as well that's lovely. I get. I have to check it out. You know, my thing because there there is so much interview content and panel content, um, and podcasts and whatnot. I listen to everything at about one point three times speed, anywhere from one and a quarter <laughs> to two x speed, depending on what I'm listening to and how fast the speakers are are talking, uh, so that smart. I can absorb stuff more quickly. Um, <laughs> See, for me, I would just be like, "Wait, what?" And then I'd have to rewind. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have to pay attention when you use that strategy. <laughs> Absolutely. I came across a Instagram account uh, by Steve Birnbaum. And Steve has been using this idea of overlaying uh, old photos on top of current contemporary live scenes. And he's doing it with old rock and roll photos. And it's really cool, you know, to, to, to see photographers search out the actual places that are depicted and then line up their images so that the perspective is maintained for the most part. We've seen the phenomena of overlaying photos before with the whole album sleeve uh, trend that went around that I still think is brilliant, uh, where people sort of align their faces with what's going on on the album cover. And then there was a very old project called Dear Photograph, which I completely loved because it was people submitting photos from their childhood overlaid on top of like their childhood home with uh, a caption, oftentimes a heartbreaking caption about, you know, a lost parent or a lost grandparent and how much emotion the the photo brought to them. This is a a really, really cool project with rock and roll stars. And a lot of them are happening kind of in New York City, as you can imagine, or other urban areas. There's one with the Beastie Boys uh, at the Washington Square Arch that I love, love, love. Um, That's an amazing shot. The BC Boys used a, a real fisheye lens for the original one to make it sort of a comic photo, and the photographer just uses straight-up lens, but it still works for me. You know, he aligns <laughs> the top part of the arch, which I think visually is the main uh, anchoring point of the, the image. But so many, so many great photos. Kind of just, I, yeah. I guess I got a little nostalgic looking at these photos from New York and thinking of people wandering the streets and people going to concerts and eh. I know. And he's got everybody from like post Malone to like 
Run DMC. This is very cool. It's a very cool project. Uh, it's S Birnbaum one on Instagram, Steve Birnbaum, if you are interested in seeing those images, but again, we'll link it on our blog at blog.photoshelter.com. I think we both needed very like light news this week, Alan, <laughs> just given, <laughs> given all the heaviness of everything. We both pulled like very, very uh, happy stories. And, uh, this one photographer came across my Twitter timeline that just made me laugh out loud. And so I had to bring him up. Um, he goes by the handle Valandis. Uh, he's a photographer, a young photographer based out of Detroit, Michigan. Uh, he mostly does portrait work, but he also has a fantastic YouTube and he's released most recently two YouTubes where he's poking fun at Canon photographers and film photographers. And so it's just him parroting these caricatures and stereotypes walking around Detroit, just being like shot on film. Yeah. I shot this on film. Like, isn't this cool? It's shot on film. I can't wait to shoot this expired film. And it's just like, it just made me LOL. <laughs> he, you know, I saw a lot of photographers repost this and I think that he just has a really good sense of comedic timing and he knows how to, Yes, he knows the whole repetition is funny thing. He knows what things to, to keep pushing. There was one thing exactly. where he's like, Portra, I've been shooting Portra for like a week, man. And it's <laughs> yes. just these funny things, um, kind of making, I guess kind of making fun of his own generation's embrace of film, but in a very funny and self-effacing way, I think ultimately Totally. Cause he, cause he is good at YouTube. He like, he makes presets that he sells, uh, for Lightroom. Ah. He knows the game. He references Peter McKinnon, you know, <laughs> making fun of him. Anybody, anybody making fun of other YouTube photographers I'm here for. So I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I've only watched the, uh, the one about film. I have to check out the Canon one. And, oh, and the Canon one I also watched good. that at like one, <laughs> one, 1. 1.3 speed as well. I had to speed it up a little bit, you know, it was, it was a little bit on the long side. I might've edited it a it little bit a little more. long. No, you're right. It is a little <laughs> long. It kept my attention, but I will say. <laughs> We're going to end with a story that's actually not that new, but I was listening to, I think it was NPR and they brought up uh, the fact that the Pentagon released, uh, officially released three UFO videos taken by uh, Navy pilots and even though they had been released prior, I think this was the Navy finally officially acknowledging that they didn't know what they were. Uh, and yeah. um, I've always found these videos to be slightly humorous because, yes. <laughs> first of all, the, you know, the, the reactions from the pilots runs the gamut. Of, oh, I love it. Love it right? I love so which their one was commentary so much. Okay, well, just the line, oh my gosh, dude, that just <laughs> them saying that you're just like, these are regular people that are seeing UFOs. Pilot bros, pi pilot bros. Exactly. So the thing that struck me about watching any sort of military footage is, you know, it's, it's often not colorized because they're doing infrared or there's some other spectrum that, that allows them to see the, uh, whatever the target is more clearly. There's all of this telemetry information on the sides, you know, airspeed, object speed, uh, direction, and blah, blah, blah. And in most cases, when I look at this footage, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, look at that object. It's moving so quickly. And you're like, I, 
it looks like a black object <laughs> over some yeah you're like uh, I guess background yeah <laughs> so <laughs> it's a funny yeah. situation where it really really requires a lot of interpretation to understand what you're seeing the one that that didn't really need description for me was there there's one of sort of a cigar tic tac shape object that's sort of rotating um yeah in the air in a very very smooth fashion which doesn't look like anything man-made or anything natural uh so that sort of stood out to me but again you know it's there's so little contextual information at what you're looking at you can't tell whether you're underwater or in the sky um (laughs) that it it might as well just be you know computer generated and then we have no idea Mm mm-hmm no, totally. Um, my favorite part of this whole story is that these videos were originally published by the New York Times um, with along with Blink-182's Tom DeLong. DeLonge? <laughs> right. how, do I, how do you say his name? That's a good question. Tom DeLonge. Well, anyways, he's the former singer and, and uh, bassist of Blink-182. <laughs> Maybe he was the guitarist. <laughs> Man, (laughs) Tom, I'm really sorry. Anyways, Tom started a UFO research organization called To The Stars Academy, um, and it actually includes several former government employees. I mean, he's been he has been trying to unveil the truth about UFOs forever. And so he's the one who helped get these videos um, to the press. Yeah. And, you know, um, in military speak, they're referred to as UAPs and not UFOs. Um, for no particular oh. reason. So UAPs, which stands for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which, as some commentators would point out, is exactly the same thing as UFOs. <laughs> but I think UFO has, uh, you know, a connotation of little green men in silver right. discs. So the military tries to come up with less of a, a loaded term. Um, but yeah. they're both, you know. They just want to be different. Yeah, they're just trying to be different. Sound a little more official. <laughs> Well, I loved it. Even though they also have no idea what these objects are. They're just as clueless as we are. They don't, Yeah, they don't know. So. And, you know, some, some people pointed out to the fact that when the U-2 spy plane was being developed, the initial prototypes were silver, not kind of the dark gray black that spy planes have taken on in, in the latter years. And so the CIA concocted stories and made these oblique references to UFOs to throw people off the scent of these military projects. So a lot of people just think that these are classified military projects, which they Uh, could be. They could be little green men. Who knows? It's fun to speculate. It is. And like it's news outside of COVID. So we like hearing it. (laughs) Maybe the aliens will drop some vaccine on us and we'll be over with this. Aliens, please. That would be ideal. Please do that. Well, we survived yet another week, and hopefully with the relaxing social distancing guidelines, you you will still wear your mask when you go outside. Come on, it's such a small ask. Just wear, wear a mask. your mask. Yes, please. Well, and until next week, take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. PhotoShelter is the online leader for photography websites and workflow tools. Archive, distribute, and sell your photos in a mobile-friendly, responsive website. Try one free for 14 days at photoshelter.com slash podcast. Then download one of our free educational guides at photoshelter.com slash resources.